What is going on, folks? Welcome to For the Record, a sports podcast. My name is Alex, and I've got a great show for you guys today. First, I'll be giving you a quick rundown of last week's headlines covering everything from Baker and Daniel Jones to the shocking news that came out of Indy on Sunday night. Then, we'll be kicking off our 10-week-long season preview of all 30 NBA teams from the bottom up. Also, a look at the insane week three of the NFL preseason, and, of course, the Fantasy Minute, where I share some serious fantasy advice in two minutes or less. But before we get to the show, let's make sure you stay up to date with everything For the Record by following the show on Instagram and Twitter at ForTheRecordSP. Links will be in the description. This is a super packed show today, so let's not waste any more time. Cue the music. Let's start the show. All right, let's get started with last week's news. Last week was kind of weird across the board with news. I mean, it started with Baker Mayfield deciding to take some shots at easily the most harmless guy in the NFL, Daniel Jones. Now, Baker went into a GQ interview and decided to have a complete tell-all, probably his third in, what, like three months, to just spill the beans on everything that he thought about football, all the players, everything else. Why... He decided to pick on Daniel Jones and say that he was surprised because, you know, they should pick a winner. I don't get that. Personally, I never understood why Baker uh, likes to run his mouth so much. He talks like a diva wide receiver. He probably picked that up a little bit from uh, Odell. Made Probably made it worse because Baker was already bad as it was. But he definitely just likes to run his mouth. And I don't, I, you know, I, I respect it. I think that, you know, he can do what he wants. It's his prerogative. But come on. Daniel Jones, of all people, really Daniel Jones, the guy who went 9 of 11 for, what, 146 yards on Thursday night against the Bengals? Come on, leave Daniel Jones alone. He's a rookie. He's just getting into the league. And then when everyone started giving him some uh, some heat and saying that, Baker, what are you doing? Baker, what are you doing? Baker goes, oh, no, 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 no. I was misquoted. I was misquoted. Come on, you didn't hear the full thing. You didn't see the full thing. GQ ruined me. They're trying to ruin me. Well, still, if those words came out of your mouth, even if it wasn't the full peace. Come on. You still know what you said. You know what you meant. Don't try and backtrack. Now, if you have the, you know, can't say it on air, but the stuff to say something like that, come on, man. Come on. Next up, we had the Antonio Brown saga. That, I mean, this situation has just been absolutely ridiculous. He filed a second grievance against the NFL on Monday night. And guess what? Surprisingly, it was declined. Why? Because Antonio Brown needs to wear a new helmet. I mean, it's as simple as that. No one needs to be wearing a helmet that's 10 years old. That's just dumb. I mean, to be sitting there and putting yourself at risk when you know what the serious, serious repercussions of something like CTE are, why would you do that? Why would you sit there and risk blowing up your brain, basically, ruining the rest of your life, maybe not even being able to remember your kids by age 40, to wear a helmet that's 10 years old just because, oh, you see a little bit better in it. Come on, Antonio. You're better than that. But you know what? There's nothing like more AB news to waste everybody's time. Then in the MLB, we had Pete Alonzo getting the National League rookie home run record of 40 home runs. 
I am, I, you know what, I don't think I've ever been prouder to be a Mets fan. This guy is going to take us to the World Series, and we're going to win at least, at least one as long as he's a Met. Hats off to that one. Then, <laughs> in probably the best basketball news that could have come out last week, Dwight Howard is back in the limelight of the NBA, making his return to the Los Angeles Lakers on a non-guaranteed deal. Can you hear the smile in my voice? That makes me so happy. The Lakers are perfect. Like, I, I feel like they are imploding because they're picking up guys who are going to cause problems. I get that Dwight's deal is not guaranteed. If he starts acting up, they can just get rid of him real quick. But Dwight Howard, of all people, you're going to pick Dwight Howard? Come on. I think he'll be okay next to Anthony Davis. Do I think he's going to be a star? Do I think that he's really going to help them? Do I think that he's going to be a big piece moving forward? Absolutely not. Will he be a stopgap this year since uh, Boogie got hurt? Yeah, you know what? He might. There's a, there's a good chance he might. But Dwight Howard in Los Angeles. Does anybody else remember the last time Dwight Howard was in Los Angeles? This guy stunk. He was, quote-unquote, hurt all the time, and he was always doing things, antics, and getting in trouble a little bit with Kobe, and not really caring, and he was probably partying too much, to be completely honest with you. LA does that to people. But Dwight Howard is now back. We'll see if LeBron James can, you know, keep him a little more on the straight and narrow than Kobe was able to. Then Daniel Jones, speaking of him earlier, he continues to prove doubters wrong by going 9 of 11 for 146 yards on Thursday against the Bengals. I, as a Jets fan, this doesn't really impact me. Honestly, you know what? If the Giants do well with Daniel Jones, good for them. They're another New York squad. It really doesn't impact me. It's not the Patriots. I don't care. But this this whole situation is going to be so interesting to watch with Eli and Pat Shermer and the Maras and figuring out what they want to do with the whole Eli Daniel Jones situation. The Maras don't want to get rid of Eli, and understandably, because Eli got them that thing that they really, really wanted. They wanted a championship. They got two. They beat a perfect team in the Super Bowl when they were the wild card team. They should not have done that. And Eli was the quarterback. So the Maras owe everything to Eli. They think they owe everything to Eli. But let me tell you, Daniel Jones, he's a real deal. I think they should really keep a good eye. People should keep a good eye on Daniel Jones and his progression throughout the season, even if he's just the backup. I mean, Patrick Mahomes spent an entire year under Alex Smith, and Alex Smith, you know, right now is a better quarterback than Eli, but Eli, Eli's got a lot to teach Daniel Jones and share with him uh, over, over a season of him learning. But if Eli starts to do bad, hmm, you know who's getting that call up to play first-string quarterback. Then we also had the unfortunate news of Lamar Miller tearing his ACL in that horrible, horrible game of the Texans versus Cowboys. I, I mean, that is just that is probably one of the saddest things that can happen. Uh, seeing a fierce competitor like Lamar Miller, a guy who can who can run, who's a very solid running back, a, a honestly a quality starting back or even a rotation back in the starting lineup. He's great. He's a great, great back. And it's so sad to see that his whole season is going to be thrown away uh, due to a torn ACL in a meaningless preseason game. Yet another reason to get rid of the preseason, or at least shorten it to maybe two games. I mean, that's all you really need for the preseason is two games to warm up. Uh, then the Nets decided to extend Karis LeVert on his birthday, three years, $52.5 million. That is a very nice birthday gift. Congratulations to Karis LeVert. Also, 
in the news that everybody's been talking about today, Andrew Luck retired. I watched that entire press conference, and I, you know what, the pain in his eyes, you could tell that the last thing he wanted to do was retire from the NFL at 29. I don't think Andrew Luck wanted to stand there and knew he was going to be standing there or even ever considered standing in front of anybody to say, hey, I'm retiring at age 29. That's that's not fun. That's not great. That's so sad, and it's so sad to see that the Colts failed him. The team in the past, not getting him an O-line, a run game, and the fans on his last night on that field as a member of the Indianapolis Colts, they boo him off of it. Well, some boo him off of it. I get it. I get the disappointment. I understand why, because, you know, working a whole offseason thinking that this team's going to be a lock for a deep playoff run, and then Andrew Luck retires two weeks before the season starts, I get that. I get the frustration. But you don't boo your starting quarterback who's literally given up his entire body (laughs) for that organization. You don't do that. You do not boo a guy like that. You think if Tom Brady retired today, just randomly, you think Patriots fans would boo him? No, absolutely not, because he gave his life for that for the Patriots team. Yes, he had six Super Bowl rings, and Andrew Luck had zero, but Andrew Luck did everything in his power to stay on that field and do what he could do for that team, and they betrayed him at the very end, and the team betrayed him pretty much the entire time until this season, and unfortunately, Andrew Luck just didn't have any more steam. He looked like a defeated man at that podium. It was it was really, really upsetting to watch. And to see a competitor like that, one of the best competitors in the NFL, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL the past 10 years, it's so sad, so, so, so sad to, uh, to see that happen. Now, this segment, I've been so excited for. My NBA team previews, I like I said in the last episode, I love the NBA. It's my favorite, favorite sport. So being able to sit here and break down all 30 NBA teams, rank them, give them a grade, give my opinions on their projections for this season, that's just super exciting to me. So what I wanted to do was to not take up the entire time of the weekly For the Record podcast and keep it as a variety show. I wanted to give an abridged version throughout this episode. So it'll be over the ten, the next 10 weeks, you'll get four teams or three teams per episode, and then throughout that week, each team is going to get a fully dedicated bonus episode, so about 25 to 30 minutes, where I go through the team and really break it down into the nitty-gritty. So if you're interested in that team, if you're interested in the NBA, if you're interested in my opinions, that will be for you. So without any further ado, let's get started with team number 30, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Talk about a dumpster fire. The Cleveland Cavaliers are screwed this season. They have Kevin Love. Kevin Love, a 30, what, 32-year-old guy who is under contract until 2023 and is making $120 million guaranteed. $120 million guaranteed, and he played 22 games last season. He has an injury history. Why would the Cavaliers do this well they thought apparently through reading a couple articles and and seeing interviews with dan gilbert and kobe atman that kevin love would be a pillar for the post lebron era i don't see that happening i don't know about you guys but i don't see that happening i don't think kevin love is going to be a pillar for anything except for a trade piece uh then 
This team decides to get a promising point guard in Colin Sexton, averaging 16 points a game. You know, his playmaking's a little rough. I get it, sure. But he's promising, right? He's a great scorer. But then they said, no, no, no. Let's draft another point guard with the number five pick in the draft instead of the, a wing, right? So they draft Darius Garland, a point guard who played a total of five games before going down with a meniscus injury. The Cavs have injury issues as it is, and they draft a guy who played five games in his only college season at Vanderbilt. Really, really, really smart move, Cleveland. Really just really Cleveland move right there. Then they drafted Kevin Porter Jr. with the 30th pick in the first round. Well, they traded for him uh, with the 30th pick in the first round. He's a total question mark. He could either flame out with his whole injury issue, off-court issue thing, or, I mean, he could be he could be a steal. He could shine. He could be that five-star recruit that we expected of him going to USC. But he didn't show that at USC. So that's why, first of all, that's why he slipped to 30 in the first round. But also, I don't know if he can if he can do that. Because he showed at USC that he didn't really care. I don't know if it was the injuries, the off-court stuff, or just a total lack of effort that kind of gave him that 9.8 points per game when he went from averaging well over 20 points in high school. So it's it's kind of sad to see, but we'll see what kind of Kevin Porter we get. Are we going to get the one that's blinded by the fame and the money or <laughs> whatever fame you get in Cleveland? That fame and the money or a Kevin Porter that's going to come in and really just shine and grind and get that uh that goal that he wants that he once wanted to get when he was a five-star recruit. Then the worst part about the Cleveland Cavaliers coming up for this season is they are paying the luxury tax. Yeah. Surprise, the Cleveland Cavaliers are paying the luxury tax for a guaranteed lottery team. There's no chance this team makes the playoffs. They're paying Tristan Thompson, the most hated man in Beverly Hills, $18 million. Brandon Knight, $13 million. Jordan Clarkson, $13 million. Larry Nance, $13 million. I like to call those guys the $39 million trio. Plus, you have John Henson and Matthew Dellavedova making $9 million each. What? That's the majority of their cap right there. Plus, don't forget Kevin Love making $120 million over the next few years. What is that? Who decided that? Who said, let's pick up all these contracts, let's extend certain guys, let's pick up Brandon Knight, that's a good idea. What? They strapped themselves. They, If they don't tank this year, I don't understand. I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I don't understand what this team was thinking. As I was writing the script for the actual full uh, episode of the Cleveland Cavaliers, I was sitting there. It took me about 20 minutes to figure out how do I even put this together? How does this even make sense? Who looked at this? What finance person looked at this and said, you know what? This is a good idea. Brandon Knight is worth $13 million, and John Henson is definitely worth $9 million. Let's do it. And then, on top of all that, don't forget that they might lose their lottery pick to Atlanta this year if it falls out of the top 10. And we saw, we saw last season that anything is possible. Anything is possible with this new draft system. Because the New Orleans Pelicans were not even supposed to be in the top five, let alone the top three, let alone the top pick. And they got it. Same with the Grizzlies. They got the number two pick. Where the Knicks, who were supposed to be the number one pick, they got three. The Lakers leapfrog to four. So you don't know. And if it falls out of the top 10, goodbye. 
They don't get a draft pick this year, and they need a draft pick this year. They will certainly be needing one. Then this offseason, they made the moves of losing J.R. Smith, Channing Frye, David Nwaba, Nick Stauskas, Dengadel, and Jaron Blossom game. But they managed to replace these guys with Dean Wade, Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., Malik Newman, Levi Randolph, Gerald Martin, and Alex Robinson. As I said these names, I had no idea who these guys were. Not one signing. Aside of outside of Garland, Porter, and Dylan Windler, I had no idea who any of these people were. Maybe Jarrell Martin, I think he played for the Grizzlies. I'm not entirely sure, but who are these people? Not one of these signings helps this team whatsoever. I mean, maybe, maybe one of these unknown guys can step up and really work and be that guy, maybe surprise everybody, become a starter. You don't know. But I strongly, strongly doubt it because history has shown that the Casper Wares of this world generally flame out. If you don't know who Casper Ware was, is uh, he played one season for the Philadelphia 76ers in the 13-14 season. He's from Long Beach State. He went undrafted as a 5'10 point guard. So Casper Ware, he was on that Sixers team that was trust the process Sixers team. Yeah, he was part of that team. Uh, so guys like that, basically guys like Alex Robinson, Levi Randolph, Dean Wade, they last a season or two in the NBA and then disappear. That That's the extent of the careers of most guys like that. But then some surprise. A guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Some of those guys surprise you. So we'll see what happens this season with them. But I don't see anything going on with those guys. I think they got significantly worse, and they are certainly tanking this season. Then their front office coach situation. They have Kobe Altman, the GM. I can't say he's done that great post-David Griffin. Horrible moves on all their signings. Very weird draft strategy. I don't know what they're doing at all. Uh, then John Balin is coming into his first NBA coaching gig, and I'm, I'm not really too sure to ex- what to expect from him. Uh, he had a pretty decent track record of success in Michigan with two national title appearances, two regular season Big Ten titles, two conference tournament championships, and five Sweet 16 appearances, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the NBA. I mean, look at a guy like Fred Hoiberg, who came from Iowa State, then coached the Bulls, and got promptly fired after two seasons because he was not good. And then also, (laughs) Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan was part of a huge part of the reason why the Oklahoma City Thunder imploded. If they kept Scott Brooks, I think that that team would have stayed together. But they chose to go with Billy Donovan. He has not been great in the NBA, but he was incredible at Florida. He was a legend, coaching legend at Florida. So I don't know. Will the locker room trust him? We'll see. We shall see. The best case scenario for the Cleveland Cavaliers, 13th in the East, top five draft pick. Doesn't get any better than that for them. Their worst case scenario, being last in the NBA, not getting the number one pick, or falling outside of the top 10 in the lottery and losing their pick to Atlanta. I hope, I really, really hope that doesn't happen to Cleveland because Cleveland just gets screwed all the time. All the time. They won a championship three years ago. Boom, right back in the lottery three years later. LeBron leaves him a year later, two years later, I'm sorry. So it's just so sad to see Cleveland uh, just fall apart like this pretty much always. I mean, you can't expect that much from Cleveland ever. So they're sports teams at least. So 
I really hope they get their act together and they build up, and hopefully by 2025, maybe they'll be competitive. Uh, but their final preseason grade from me, unfortunately, is an F. Without question, they are the worst team going into the 2019-2020 NBA season. They may not end up with the worst record in the league. There might be some teams that beat them to that title, if you want to call it. But they're so poorly equipped for future success and devoid of talent that it's just not even funny. This team is not going to be good uh, now or in the near future. Then we have the number 29 ranked team, the Charlotte Hornets. Adding yet another thing to the list of MJ's biggest regrets. The Hornets have only gone to the playoffs three times in the last 10 years. Ready? 2010, 2014, and 2016. All three of those years ending in the first round. How sad is that? Every year your team makes the playoffs, they lose in the first round. And quickly, too. A lot of them were sweeps. Okay? Then they had that whole Bobcats thing that lasted all of 10 years from 04 to 2014. And then... <laughs> they've only ever drafted one all-star, above-average starter, star-type player in this decade, and he just left them for Boston. If we look at their last draft picks in the past 10 years, or in this decade, they drafted Tobias Harris 19th overall, and they traded him immediately to Milwaukee. Then they drafted Michael, uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist 2nd overall, who's not that great. Then Cody Zeller 4th, Noah Vonley 9th, Shabazz Napier 24th, and Traded him to Miami. Frank Kaminsky, ninth. Malik Monk, 11th. I, the jury's still out on Malik Monk. I kind of like him, but the jury's still out. And then, here's the kicker. They drafted Shy Gilgis-Alexander, 11th overall, but immediately traded him to the LA Clippers. I'm sure they regret that one. All the good players they drafted, barring Kemba, they managed to trade away pretty much immediately. On draft night, they traded most of these guys. So, the other significant issue with this is that every name I just mentioned was a top 12 pick, well, top 12 pick except for Tobias Harris and Shabazz Napier. So in the past decade, they've had eight top 10 picks and they haven't been able to do anything. I'm sorry, top 12 picks. And they haven't been able to do anything with any of those guys. And all the good ones, they traded away. So I don't understand what Charlotte's doing with their drafting. They just seem to pick up players and then promptly get rid of them. And then they also have a coach, right? at least right now, who kind of looks like Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. I don't know if you've ever seen their coach, but he kind of, kind of looks like Alfalfa, James Borrego. I might make a little uh, post to put on the at For The Record SP account with James Borrego with the Alfalfa stuck-up hair. But those are fundamental uh, franchise problems, except for the whole Alfalfa thing. So the Hornets this upcoming season still have a ton of problems. They reached for their rookie, P.J. Washington, a sophomore from Kentucky, with the 12th pick. I don't get why they drafted him so high, but then also I don't understand why they love to draft big guys. Every single draft, it is a big guy. If it's not a power forward, it's a center. They, If they only have bigs on their roster, who's going to bring the ball up the court? Who's going to be their playmaker? No idea. Oh, wait, actually, I do have an idea. Terry Rozier. If you listen to the first episode, you know how much I don't like the Terry Rozier signing. It was a waste of $56 million. Could have given it to me and it would have been better spent. Don't don't ever give Terry Rozier $56 million guaranteed. He's not worth that. 
Then they're also paying Nick Batum $21 million a year until his player option, which he'll probably pick up, expires in the 2020 or kicks in for the 2020-2021 season. So now they got what another $42 million for Nick Batum plus the $56 million for Terry Rozier. Where's the direction in that? What are they, it seems like they're trying to stay relevant all while sinking their team further into the ground. I don't see any direction for this team. They're just kind of putting pieces together and hoping and praying they work. Uh, but on the bright side, on the bright side, they do have the possibility of garnering 10 second round picks over the next three years. Talk about progress. That is serious progression from the Charlotte Hornets. In the offseason, they've lost players Joe Chile, Frank Kaminsky, Jeremy Lamb, Shelvin Mack, J.P. Makura, Tony Parker to retirement, and unfortunately, Kemba Walker to greener pastures. Then, bringing in this offseason, they drafted P.J. Washington, they picked up Terry Rozier, Robert Franks, an undrafted tweener forward out of Washington State, Caleb and Cody Martin, two brothers, Joe Chile, they brought him back actually, Josh Perkins and Thomas Welsh. So, the same situation with Cleveland. Who the hell are these guys? Nobody, literally nobody knows. It looks like they went out and just picked up random guys from their local LA Fitness and added them to the team. None of these guys, especially their $56 million man, are going to help this team at all. They're not going to help this team be any better because they haven't made a single good move this offseason except letting Kemba go for his own good. It shows right, that move showed right there that they did care about Kemba. At the end of the day, they cared about Kemba's well-being because they let him go. If Kemba spent his whole career in Charlotte, it would have been a wasted career of an all-star just like another, just like so many players before him uh, in that area. I think of a player like a Mike Conley in Memphis, okay, if he stayed and they didn't trade him to the Utah Jazz that would have been a wasted career or wasted twilight of a career because Mike Conley's still good. If Kemba Walker stayed in Charlotte, his whole career would have been literally a wash. And people in Charlotte would love Kemba Walker, but no one would talk about him because he never won anything. Then with their front office and coaching situation, you have Mitch Kupchak, who's obviously taken quite a fall from grace as the GM of the Hornets. He, as most know, he was formerly of the LA Lakers, and he's the guy who smartly gave Kobe a $48 million two-year extension in 2013. Does anybody know how old Kobe was in 2013? Does anybody know what Kobe was dealing with in 2013? Yeah, Kobe was very old, and he also was dealing with some serious Achilles issues. But what happened? <laughs> Mitch gave him $48 million. Wow, what a move. What a move. Then they have Alfalfa, sorry, <clears throat> James Borrego. Their head coach, career record of 49-63 and 63 over two head coaching stints, one as the interim head coach of the Orlando Magic, and the other last year with the Hornets. I'm not impressed with him at all. I don't see him as a viable asset moving forward. I think he is a waste of time for them as a coach. I think they should really consider looking for a stronger personality, somebody who can actually help that team grow and can grow around them and their system. Then I believe... I believe, I believe, I believe very strongly that Michael Jordan should take a good, hard look at his team and reconsider the people he has in power from the front office to the coaching staff because this team is going nowhere fast, and it's blatantly obvious. Mitch Kupchak, not great. James Borrego, not great. The rest of that team, not great. So if they can take that and just 
get rid of everybody, flip it on its head, maybe bring in some fresh blood, make it new, exciting. Maybe the Hornets will be good, just like the Cavs, 2025. It'll take some time, but hopefully they'll get there. Hopefully they'll get there. Then the best-case scenario for the Hornets, Terry Rozier, actually could pan out. I mean, do we think he's going to? Probably not. I really don't. I don't think so. But hopefully he does. He could average 20 points, 5 assists. Maybe he actually did have that to prove in in Boston. Then, you know, maybe the Hornets finish 12th, 13th in the East, draft a shooting guard or a wing, two positions that they need. Uh, to build their backcourt of the future, Batum doesn't pick up his option, that would be the best-case scenario for these guys. But the worst-case scenario would be if Terry Rozier flames out, like I'm predicting, Nick Batum picks up his player option, like I'm predicting, Hornets finish 14th, 15th in the East, and lose out on a top-three lottery pick. That would be horrible. Oh, actually, you know what? And with that pick that they lose out on, they draft another power forward or center. That would be the icing on the cake. That would just be Charlotte Hornets. You are the worst franchise ever in the NBA. Uh, but right now, that's still Cleveland's honor. So my final preseason grade, if you couldn't tell by the way I was kind of ripping on the Charlotte Hornets, is an F. Deciding which team was worse between the Hornets and the Cavs was kind of difficult for me, but the only reason I gave the Hornets the paper-thin edge in the race to worst is because they aren't paying the luxury tax on the season. Even though they're super, 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 super close, they're not paying it. The Cavaliers are. So the Cavaliers should be the worst team in the league because of that. Uh, the Hornets are still directionless, just like the Cavs. So don't let the fact that they're ranked 29 fool you because they could easily be the worst team in the NBA this season. I just like them a little more than the Cavs because they're not paying the luxury tax for a guaranteed lottery team. At the number 28 spot, we have the Washington Wizards. Yep, the Washington Wizards. Once thought to be such an exciting, promising team with John Wall, Bradley Beal, what are they now? I mean, these, these this was the Wizards team, pretty much the Wizards team, that took the Raptors all the way to the end, that ruined the Raptors for, what was it? It was like 2014, Paul Pierce was just out of, the, out of this world. He was playing like prime Paul Pierce, it was crazy. And now these Washington Wizards of 2019, they've got Bradley Beal, John Wall, who's always hurt. They don't have anybody else. Dwight Howard's obviously not there anymore. Kelly Oubre's not there anymore. So what is this team? Otto Porter's not there either. And the guys that they traded for when they traded Otto Porter, those guys are gone too. So what do they have? What do they have in Washington? Bradley Beal. That's all they have in Washington. So they decided to give their often injured point guard... Right, Rich Paul client John Wall, a four-year, $171 million contract, which I'm sure instantly gave them buyer's remorse because John Wall decided to shut it down due to a nagging heel injury. And then, as if that wasn't enough, right, he ruptured his Achilles. Injuries like this are not good for anybody. Literally no player wants an injury like that, but especially a player who's known for their speed. John Wall is a fast, fast player. He's known for his blazing speed. That's why he was drafted so high, right? But he only played 73 games over the past two seasons, and then the heel issue, a ruptured Achilles for a burner like that? Oh, boy. I don't think John Wall's coming back to John Wall that we remember him. Then they have a third, one-third of their salary cap tied up to John Wall and Bradley Beal which for a rebuilding, retooling, franchise, whatever you want to call it, that's not good. 
That's not good at all. They are both vets. They need young guys. They can't rebuild around a 30-year-old John Wall, 27-year-old Bradley Beal. That's not plausible. That's not anything that they can do with. That That's not going to work for them. And also, just like the Hornets, they really, really reach for their young guy in the lottery. Rui Hachimura, Gonzaga by way of Japan. I like him. I like Rui. I can see him growing into his role, succeeding in the NBA, but I just think that was a bit of a stretch, you know, for Rui Hachimura. They probably could have traded down and still got at him, gotten him, maybe got a pick next year. Who knows? A couple second-round picks would have been better than taking Rui so high. I think the ceiling for Rui Hachimura is probably something, something around Rudy Gay, maybe, right? Role player, average starter. That That's what I see for Rui Hachimura. I don't see superstar written all over him. Uh, but they don't, moving forward, they don't have anybody that really stands out, right? Rui, I like him. I like Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, who they picked up from the Lakers, uh, Admiral Schofield, that could be decent off the bench, but that's about it. Those are the only people I see having any long-term growth on that team as as it stands. IT, Isaiah Thomas, Isaac Bonga, Jan Mahimi, Ish Smith, Ironically, all those guys' names start with an I. I didn't realize that. Uh, these are all guys who we know how far they can go, right? We know their ceiling. So I don't see much long-term potential with these guys. This offseason, they went and lost Trevor Ariza, Sam Decker, Jeff Green, Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis, Chazon Randall, Devin Robinson, Thomas Sadoransky, which is a big one, and Dwight Howard. But, but they brought in Garrison Matthews, C.J. Miles in the Dwight trade, Davis Bertans, Isaac Bonga, Mo Wagner, Jamario Jones, Ish Smith, Rui Hachimura, Admiral Schofield, and the fan favorite, Isaiah Thomas. Now, when they lost Dwight Howard, I really like that trade. I like how they picked up, a, how they got a pick and CJ Miles for that. Uh, really enjoy CJ Miles. I think he's a great shooter. Also, Dwight didn't really fall in line with what the Wizards were trying to do this season. The Wizards are kind of rebuilding in a weird way. They're not, they don't want to say they're rebuilding, but they are rebuilding. Dwight's not going to fit in that. Mo Wagner, an absolute steal. I really, really, really like that kid from Michigan. He showed so much promise with the Lakers. Another player that the Lakers shouldn't have let go. But, you know, that's the Lakers. They like to just trade or get rid of everybody for some superstars because they only like star power. Then I think they should have kept Jabari Parker. Uh, you know, I know he hasn't really lived up to that number two status, but I still I still kind of believe in him. I really do. I always like them more than Wiggins. We all know how I feel about Wiggins, but, you know, I, I think Jabari still has that untapped potential down there. It's just been the injuries that have been kind of barring him down. And then letting Bobby Portis walk, now that, that was a good move. Bobby Portis is a problem in the locker room, but someone who wasn't a problem in the locker room and someone who was actually good for this team, Thomas Sadoransky, they should have never done that. That should have never happened. They should have kept Thomas Sadoransky. He was so good when John Wall went down. I think it was a big loss for them and a huge pickup by the Chicago Bulls. That was a great, great signing by them. Even though they got Kobe White, picking up Thomas Sadoransky is awesome insurance behind him. Then for the front office coach situation, the Wizards had such a weird start to their offseason because they didn't have a GM for pretty much most of it, right? They tried luring Masai Ujiri from Toronto. Thankfully, that didn't work. But they went ahead and signed longtime exec Tommy Shepard to that spot. And only I think only time will tell if it was a good move or not because he's inexperienced. And an inexperienced GM is a coin flip. You never know what you're going to get. They could either be really good. They could be really bad. They could be in the middle. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, and then for their head coach, it's still Scott Brooks. 
Surprise. Woo. Uh, he gets a lot of hate, but I I kind of like Scott Brooks. I think he's pretty good. Uh, you know, people say that he had his career propelled because of the stars in OKC and yada yada. I like him. I think he's pretty solid. But the one thing I do think he needs to work on is some aspect of his playbook. Because a lot of what the Wizards do is hero ball. If you watch them, watch some highlights, it's always in Bradley Beal's hands. Or it's always in John Wall's hands back when John Wall could actually play basketball. So they need to do a, a little bit of a better job to work the other guys in because a guy like Bradley Beal, who now is literally the only star on the team until John Wall comes back, if John Wall comes back the way he used to be or even close to it, uh, and Bradley's going to burn out if he has to keep saving his team every single game. That's not going to be fun for him. And, and you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if this season we see Bradley Beal in another uniform by the trade deadline because I don't think he wants to be in a rebuilding situation. He says he wants to be in Washington. I get that. Every player wants to be in the spot that drafted them for life. That's that's the team they want to be a part of. But Bradley Beal staying in Washington during a retooling while he's just hitting his prime, I don't think that's a good move for him. I think the best case scenario for the Wizards is 10th place in the East. John Wall comes back to at least 80% of what he was before the injury. Rui becomes this offensive prowess mastermind. He's solid. He's great. He can hit a three just like he did in college. And then Mo Wagner or Thomas Bryant can show that they'll be the center of the future for this team. Both guys very young and both guys very promising. So I could see that happening. And then also they get something like, I don't know, the 10th pick in the draft, right? Maybe pick up a good small forward, a 3 and D guy, like what Otto Porter should have been uh, or sort of was, but not to the extent that they expected. Then the worst case scenario for the Wizards, let's see, 13th in the East is probably what I would go with. John Wall comes back as a shell of his former self. None of these young guys pan out like Rui, Mo, Thomas. They all just kind of suck. And then they get screwed out of a top six pick and whiff on yet another draft pick. I don't want to see them do that, but that would that would kind of be really unfortunate and definitely the worst case scenario if they do with on another draft pick. And then also, I think a piece of this worst-case scenario would have to be no suitors for John Wall or Bradley Beal. If nobody wants John Wall or Bradley Beal, they're going to be paying a lot of money for two guys that they may not want long-term anymore. So the final preseason grade for the Wizards, uh, say a D-. minus. Yeah, let's go with D-. minus. They're bad. They're really bad, but they're just not that bad. You know, there's there's a difference between bad, really bad, and just bad. Like, the Hornets and Cavs are bad, but really bad, bad, eh, you know, like, they could make a surprise. Bradley Beal could turn into, you know, a superstar and really carry this team. At least they have a superstar, um, but if health wasn't a concern, I probably would have ranked them a little higher, right? Maybe a little higher than 28, maybe like a 26, 25, uh, but because of these health concerns, the question marks with their rookies, their foggy outlook on the future. That's why I had them at 28. Um, and I think it's fitting, you know, but they did, they did sign Isaiah Thomas. So that's plus a hundred in the fan book, which doesn't really count. Finally, the last team I'm going to be looking at this season during the NBA preview is the New York Knickerbockers, the New York Knicks. I love Madison Square Garden. I mean, you know, the overpriced tickets, $20 chicken fingers, occasional homeless guy trying to sell you an umbrella when it's 75 and sunny. I really, I really do love the atmosphere of 
the garden and just the surrounding part of Manhattan. I think it's great. So it's such a shame to me that the Knicks are a perennial disappointment because they've been devoid of a true contender since the 90s, and it's it's kind of sad to watch. I mean, I would hate to see what the prices of tickets would be if they were actually good, but it's kind of sad to see because every time I go, they lose, which is great, except for the one time I saw LeBron there and he got blocked by Mario Hazonia. So that was that was kind of rough to watch for <laughs> for Lakers fans. No one wants to see LeBron lose that way. But back to the Knicks. Instead of drafting Dennis Smith Jr. in the 2017 draft, the Knicks decided to take Frank Nittiklina, who at the end of the season didn't even play. And then, <laughs> in a weird twist of fate, to get Dennis to Manhattan, they had to trade their stud unicorn, Kristaps Porzingis, to get him. If you're a Knicks fan, whew, that's got to suck. That's got to be so hard to realize that you could have had both of those guys on your team if the team just did exactly what they should have. Then, they also showed that they had a serious passion for power forwards because their four highest paid players, Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, Marcus Morris, and Taj Gibson are all power forwards. Plus, actually, you know what? They also have Ignas Bradzikis, who is their lowest paid player, but he's also a power forward. So, making almost 40% of the New York Knicks power forwards. Sick. Then, they also lost out on the Zion sweepstakes, thanks to the league putting in their new lottery system, apparently one year too early, if you ask any Knicks fans. And then... The icing on the cake, the cherry on top, the whipped cream. They also lost out on KD and Kyrie because of KD's unforeseen injury. Who would have saw? Who honestly, no one would have expected that uh, in the playoffs and in the finals, the really bad one in the finals. But you know, KD kind of losing that leverage to be the guy to decide. Kyrie kind of saying, "I want to play in Brooklyn." KD being like, "All right, well, it's New York still." That kind of screwed the Knicks' chances right there. So they also lost out on that super team that everyone was talking about and projecting for them next season. It, it's quite a shame to see. Then, with their offseason moves, they lost Billy Garrett, Emmanuel Moutier, DeAndre Jordan, Henry Ellenson, Isaiah Hicks, John Jenkins, Lance Thomas, Luke Cornett, the Kingslayer Mario Hazonia, and Noah Vonley. But they brought in Reggie Bullock, <laughs> Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Alfred Payton, also known as The Weeknd, Julius Randle, Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington, Ignas Bradzikas, and R.J. Barrett. I like their offseason moves, I really do, except for the fact that they have an absurd amount of power forwards that they brought onto this team. I think R.J. Barrett is going to be a future star in this league. I mean, I don't want to hear anything else about his summer league performance because how many guys have been summer league superstars and they completely fizzled away? Just, I mean, look at look at his teammate, Kevin Knox, right? He lit up Summer League and then was below average last season, his rookie year. Then I also do like the pickups of Julius Randle and Alfred Payton. Uh, I think they both bring a lot of positives to this team. You know, Julius Randle had a great season with the Pelicans last year, averaging 21 points, 8 rebounds. And Alfred Payton also had a great season with the Pelicans, averaging 10 points a game, almost 8 assists a game, and 5 boards a game. I think he's going to be really, really great behind Dennis Smith Jr. And then also, they have guys from last year that they can keep building on, like Alonzo Trier, Mitchell Robinson, Dennis Smith Jr., Damian Dotson, and Kevin Knox. So the Knicks have a actually a pretty decent young core if they can actually grow and, and expand their skills, maybe 
you know, Kevin Knox takes a back seat to R.J. Barrett, which I'm thinking is what they're going to do. I don't think they can both play on the court at the same time. So hopefully that transition goes well. And I think they have a, a pretty solid young core to move forward with. Uh, then with their front office, front office and coach situation, they have a weird situation because of their spastic owner, right? But aside from that, they have a pretty good front office. GM Scott Perry, president of basketball basketball operations Steve Mills. They're both experienced. They're veteran team execs. They give the team a good direction. But what they do need to work on is getting Dolan on the same page so they can actually win. Because if Dolan's not there, he's not going to let them do anything. We saw how Dolan is literally just the taskmaster. He holds all the cards always. He's not going to let his team run the he's not going to let his office run the team if he doesn't have a say and doesn't approve everything that happens. He's a very micromanaging owner, right? So we need to see Dolan take a step back and let the guys actually run the team, do what they have to do, do what they need to do, and get there and help this team get to a point of relevance again. Then Coach Fisdale. Um, I, I'm not huge on Coach Fisdale, but I don't dislike him. I really, I really don't dislike him at all. I think he's about an average NBA coach, but for this transition period that the Knicks are going through, I think he's perfect for them. Uh, from a lot of the stories that I read, he he seems like a motivator who just really positively impacts his players on and off the court. Uh, it keeps their head on straight, kind of like a player-first approach. So David Fisdale, for, for what the Knicks are doing right now, I think is a great, great head coach. Then their best-case scenario, I'd say 10th seed. R.J. Barrett proves he'll be a serious star in this league. Get a top-10 draft pick. You know, DSJ and R.J. work well together. Really having that feel good, they have a great young core to build around for the future. But then there's their worst-case scenario, which would be 14th seed. Uh, R.J.'s summer league woes were actually real. They get screwed out of the number one pick again. No team chemistry. Dolan does something stupid like banning another Knicks legend or whatever else he'll do or say. Then the front office coaches get canned at the end of the season. They spend too much money in the offseason, just creating chaos in Manhattan yet again. So for me, their final preseason grade, I'm going to give them a D. Uh, I don't like the thought of the Knicks competing this season at all, but they definitely, definitely did set themselves up for future success. Uh, Everyone's contract comes off the book at the end of the 2021 season, except for R.J. Barrett. So it really frees up a lot of cap space for a loaded free agency class. Also... They have seriously promising young guys that can make for a fun core to watch at the Garden for years to come. How fun is it to watch Den Smith Jr. dunk, to watch R.J. Barrett drill threes, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson to go out there, Alonzo Trier to hit threes. I mean, that's a fun young team. So if they can actually grow and become something successful, they'll be they'll be really good and, and be exciting to watch. And at the very least, an eighth seed, seventh seed that you can go and watch an entertaining basketball game where you know they're not going to lose by 40 points. Uh, the only thing is that this season they're going to be really bad. I mean, that's kind of guaranteed. Which power forward is going to start? How is that rotation going to work? I mean, are they, are they like, think about it. Are they going to play Bobby Portis at the three? You know, what's going to happen to Frank Nittaklina now they have Alfred Payton? It, it, there's just so many question marks all over that team. Like, hopefully for their sake, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully they can find something, figure something out with these guys. But as it stands right now, too many question marks for me. All right, and now for my favorite segment, we have the Fantasy Minute, where we're talking about what defense you should draft based on your pick. But as always, this is usually the segment where we would be shouting out this week's sponsor. Unfortunately, we're going on week two of no sponsor. So, 
If you do want to be next week's sponsor, send an email to admin at buspotential.com for more details. I'll make sure to put the email in the description. So without further ado, here's the Fantasy Minute. If you have a high pick, you want to pick the Bears, the Rams, or the Ravens in that order. Those are going to be the top three fantasy defenses in the NFL this year. Uh, you can't go wrong with the Bears or Rams. And I also think that the Ravens are super competitive on defense. So I really do trust Harbaugh's squad, even though they had a mini retooling this offseason. Then if you're picking between the four and eight range, that kind of mid-range area, you want to choose from the Jags, the Chargers, the Cowboys. Those are three teams that had solid defenses last year and can be very, very helpful this year. Chargers' only concern would be the two games they have against the Chiefs, but other than that, they're really great. I mean, we saw what the Cowboys can do against the Texans. That was absolutely insane. Uh, and then the Jaguars always have a really good defense. Uh, and I think that defense is going to be probably one of the main calling cards of that team this year. If you have a low pick, I would go with some safe bets here. Something like the New England Patriots, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Buffalo Bills. So the Patriots and Seahawks, I'm suggesting based on their coaching, right? Both Belichick and Pete Carroll have track records of success with many different defenses throughout the year. So if you do miss out on those higher picks, those are always safe bets. They would be my first thought. Seahawks, Patriots, go with those two. But if they're already gone, you want to go with the Buffalo Bills. They are a tough, gritty team on defense. Also, twice a year, they play the Miami Dolphins. So that's a very, very easy win. They'll probably get a pick or two, maybe a forced fumble. So it should be very, very exciting to pick up the Buffalo Bills and have those guys in your back pocket. Or if they are your first uh, defensive squad, then it'll be great to start those guys as well. All right, guys, and for the final segment of this week's episode of For the Record, we're going to take a look at the NFL preseason week three in review. Last week was a little crazy, a little hectic with the NFL. There were a lot of great games, a couple snoozers, but just wanted to take a quick look and, and shoot off some points that I found interesting with last week. Starting with the first game, Giants-Bengals, Giants 125-23. Daniel Jones continues to impress. I do not doubt Daniel Jones. Uh, he is so good, so talented, and he might actually live up to that number six potential. I, I don't, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to say it, but I could see him doing it. I could see him living up to that that potential. Then I also saw what I liked from veteran wide receiver Britton Golden with two receptions and 59 yards. He was really hustling out there on every single play that he was out. Then you have Andy Dalton, who, like always, is like always, basically just consistently average. Uh, their running game is non-existent behind Joe Mixon. They don't have many options. And then CJ Uzoma might actually be a valuable tight end in fantasy this year. So definitely keep your eyes out for CJ Uzoma. Then the next game on the docket, we had Ravens-Eagles. The Ravens won 26-15. So the first thing I thought of when I saw the stat lines on that game, the highlights on that game, I was saying, damn, Rook. Trace McSorley was solid against the Eagles. 203 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a rushing touchdown. That's incredible. That is awesome. Wow. If he wasn't the backup to uh, to Lamar Jackson, wow. I think he'd have a serious shot at going for that starting job. Like, if he was on the Bengals, maybe Andy Dalton might have a run for his money right there. 
Then, you know, Michael Floyd was solid. The former Redskin had 54 yards and a touchdown. But then switching to the Eagles, you have the Josh McCallan situation, which is absolutely hilarious in my book. The guy retires. The Eagles then realize they have a quarterback problem because, you know, the GOAT Nick Foles goes to the Jaguars. So they say, you know what, Josh McCowan, you got it. And boy, does he have it. 192 yards and two touchdowns later, he kind of showed off that he was a solid replacement for what they lost with Nick Foles. Kind of funny because just the story and it's it's Josh McCowan. But he actually was pretty good. And you know what, if Carson Wentz goes down again, he might be able to do what Nick Foles did. Uh, the past two seasons. So we'll see what happens with the Eagles situation. J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, the Spaniard, right? Wow, that was an awesome performance. The guy is deadly in the red zone. This offense, I think, got even better. They were already an elite offense. They got even better. Uh, he got 104 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty damn good for, for a second-round rookie. So very excited to see him play the rest of this season with the Eagles offense. And I could see him being their primary red zone target as well. Then we had an absolute snooze fest with the Patriots and the Panthers. Patriots pulling off a 10-3 victory against Carolina. Uh, this was the game where Cam tweaked his ankle. So unfortunate, but really hate to see it. But he should be okay. He was in a walking boot after the game, but that's kind of gone already. He seems to be fine. It was just a little ankle sprain. Then for the Patriots, Jared Stidham did his thing with 134 yards, and the Patriots' run game did it too, scoring the only touchdown of the game with a one-yard rush from back James Devlin. Then we had the Redskins and Falcons. Redskins pulling off a 19-7 victory. Uh, I still believe the Falcons are going to be the team to shock everybody in the NFL. I don't think they're giving their all during the preseason. I kind of think they just don't want to risk their guys getting hurt. So keep an eye on the Falcons. Keep an eye on the Falcons. Trust me, keep an eye on the Falcons. Uh, the running back situation in Atlanta looks really, really good. Right, They have quality backups behind Freeman with Ito Smith, Quadri Allison, Danny Etling. They look good. They look like a solid team that has a run game. right? And with those receivers that they have, that's incredible because now they can hit you two ways. The defense, it looked okay. Again, nothing too crazy. Why would they risk getting hurt over preseason week three? No one wants to do that. No one wants to get hurt in the preseason. Then for the Redskins, Case Keenum is not a good quarterback. And honestly, the Skins are wasting their time with him. I actually, ironically, got into a uh, got into a little bit of a Twitter fight with this Redskins beat writer because he was telling me that Case Keenum was a good thing because Haskins is a project. Now, Haskins is certainly a project, but wouldn't you rather work on the project than have some middling quarterback that's going to take you nowhere out on the field? We know what Case Keenum is. We don't know what Dwayne Haskins can be, but he looks promising. He looks pretty good. Yeah, he has his issues throughout the preseason. He's a project, obviously. But guys like guys like Troy Aikman, right? They were just thrown into the fire. Guys like Dak Prescott just thrown into the fire. Yes, those are two Cowboys quarterbacks. I get it. But you have to understand that Dwayne Haskins, yeah, he's going to get hit if he goes out there, especially with Eric Flowers protecting him. But that's kind of how these guys learn. You know, yeah, he's risking injury, whatever, but he's got to learn. If you want to see the full fight between me and this guy on Twitter, you can follow me at For the Record SP on Twitter and Instagram for the entire thing. Then their run game is average at best. I, I don't buy the Redskins for anything. I think AP is too old. Darius Juice, he's okay. He's okay. 
Uh, Chris Thompson, okay, nothing special. I don't see anything good with their run game. And then their receiving core, also average at best. I mean, who do they even have? Josh Doxson, Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed gets hurt all the time. I mean, wow, what a great passing game, right? Congratulations, Redskins. Good job. Then we had the Jaguars and Dolphins. Dolphins pulling off a 22-7 victory. That is surprising to me. The Jags honestly looked kind of lost out there. They did not look like they knew what they were doing. Um, I don't trust Nick Foles and Leonard Fournette, the latter of which to me is looking more like a bust uh, in general, and especially now to take a division title because people are saying that they're a, they're an interesting bet to go for the division title after the whole Andrew Luck situation. So I, I, I would be careful with that one. I'd be careful with that one. We'll see about Nick Foles and sustained success because last time we saw him wasn't that great in uh, with the Rams. So we'll see how he can do with a full season. Uh, and Leonard Fournette, I mean, what do you what do you get out of Leonard Fournette? He was so hyped up coming into the league, and now he's just kind of, he's average. He's okay. He's a little better than average maybe, but he's not the running back that you expected to get from LSU. Uh, it is good to see Terrell Pryor still out there, though. He, you know, I liked him a lot when he was on the Jets, so it's good to see him on the team. And then for the Finns... We had Ryan Fitzpatrick being Ryan Fitzpatrick because you know what you're getting with him every single game. Except, except, I can say this from experience, that one or two times when he throws, you know, six interceptions in a game, that was a lot of fun to watch. Then it was a good win for the Dolphins. It really was. The Jags, I hope they can get their stuff together, but uh, I don't see them doing more than stealing their division from a totally shocked Colts team. And that's like... A doomsday scenario right there for the rest of the AFC South because I don't think the Jags can pull it off. I actually think they're going to be like a six and ten team, right? Maybe five and eleven. I don't see that team being anything significant this year. We had a really fun game with the Raiders and the Packers. Uh, it was Raiders twenty two twenty one victory. That was crazy. They were playing on an eighty yard field, eighty yard field. Okay, and Nathan Peterman. Where did this come? Nathan Peterman was incredible. He was so good. John Gruden might actually know how to pick him. Nathan Peterman was solid. I totally see why John Gruden likes Nathan Peterman now. Last season, everybody was making fun of him. This season, Nathan Peterman is the guy. Okay. The Packers also look kind of fine, honestly, except for that final defensive collapse they had, which set up the game-winning field goal for the Raiders. Uh, but it was a really entertaining game. I thought it was. I thought it was super, super fun. Then Tim Boyle, who was their sec who was a second-year undrafted guy out of Eastern Kentucky, he looked really good out there too. Made some really professional reads and also managed to snag two touchdowns out there, which that that's great. I mean, good for him. I, I like seeing undrafted guys go out there and just make their own success because those are the guys that they always cut. So guys like that that actually go and show, hey, look, I can do this. I love to see that. I root for it every single time. Then we had the Browns versus the Buccaneers in a 13-12 Buccaneers victory. Baker was playing like an idiot. Honestly, Baker was playing like such a moron. He, I, I caught a mini glimpse of the game while I was scrolling through some of the games, and the one pass I saw him make, he whipped it into double coverage about 40 yards down the field. What is that? I mean, don't do that. You're, you're the quarterback of a franchise that actually has expectations this year. Don't do that. Do not do that. So, you know, that's my problem with the Browns. They're going to try and get super fancy and do all the entertaining and showtime and whatever, but they're going to forget about the winning. I don't 
know what the Browns are thinking. I don't know if they're going to be able to even pull this off. This whole high expectations season. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't see it. Uh, as for the Bucks, Jameis looked okay out there. At least you know I'm. I'm always rooting for Jameis. I think Jameis is a quarterback who he has his off-field issues. Yes, but I think that I, I like him. I always root for him. I think that he's he's a solid quarterback. He's got the the physical tools. And I think he's, his decision-making is pretty decent. I mean, you know, he'll have games where he'll throw five touchdowns, four touchdowns. But then he'll also have games where he'll throw three interceptions, and he'll be like three for 15, right? So it's just the consistency for James. If he can really just focus and get his head down and, and just want to be a great quarterback, he'll get there because he has everything else. It's all laid out there for him. We have the Bills and Lions. Bills with a uh, 24-20 victory. Matt Barkley, <laughs> what a guy. He put a 12 for 1,442-yard passing with a touchdown game out there. That was awesome to see. Congratulations to him. That was really, really cool. Uh, then Frank Gore and Shady were great on the run game, both of the vets showing that they know exactly how to get around a good defense in this league. Uh, and then for the Lions, Matt Stafford showed that he's still Matt Stafford, a overvalued game manager with an absolute cannon for an arm. I mean, I want to see him be the guy that he should be, and not this just average quarterback, but I don't think Matt Stafford's ever going to get to that level, and I don't think he's ever going to take the Lions anywhere to, at all. Uh, then we had the Cardinals and Vikings. The Vikings scored 20 in their victory against the Cardinals 9. Kyler Murray still hasn't even put a touchdown up in the preseason, so someone, in my opinion, should start a Instagram posting his face every single day until he scores a touchdown, because it does not seem like he's ever going to do that at this point uh I, I feel kind of shaky about Kyler Murray now I'm starting to starting to feel like the Cardinals have some regrets on him uh maybe a couple of regrets on Cliff Kingsbury so we'll see what happens with that Vikings I mean what can you say about the Vikings they have such a good running back in Dalvin Cook he's so damn good and I really hope he can stay healthy this year I love to watch this guy play um, I think the Vikings are an underdog in the NFC North they're very slept on they uh their issue is Kirk Cousins. I think their issue starts and ends with Kirk Cousins, but they are definitely an underdog in the NFC North. Then we had the absolute thumping of the Texans by the Cowboys, 34-0. What an absolute shit show for the Texans. And, an ap and, I mean, it was a coming-out party for the Dallas Cowboys, but the Texans looked horrible. Sean Watson couldn't even finish the first quarter because he got sacked so many times they didn't want to risk an injury. I'll give you that one, Bill O'Brien. You were smart enough to take your quarterback out. But then the backup, Joe Webb, comes in, and he throws two interceptions. Then Lamar Miller, unfortunately, tears his ACL. I mean, the, the team just imploded completely against the Cowboys. But the Cowboys, they saw two of their three quarterbacks throw touchdowns, Dak included. And the one who didn't, Cooper Rush, which, awesome name, totally unrelated, threw for 173 yards. Tony Pollard continues to be an inconsistent replacement for Zeke. Maybe ancillary piece if Zeke ever does decide to come back. And then Devin Smith. Yes, Devin Smith from Ohio State, who was drafted to the New York Jets, picked up 79 yards for the Cowboys. I'm so glad he's finally starting to understand the NFL, and I really wish he did that in a Jets uniform. Then we have the Bears versus the Colts, 27-17 victory for the Bears. This game was covered in controversy. I mean, this was the one where Andrew Luck, the retirement news came out in the middle of the game. He got booed. It was just a really sad, sad showing for the Colts, sad showing for Andrew Luck. It was just a disastrous night for Indianapolis. Uh, 
don't want to go too much into this one. Chad Kelly, Jim Kelly's former or Jim Kelly's nephew and also former Broncos quarterback, was he was okay for the Colts. I mean, he threw 209 yards with a touchdown and interception, and he also ran for 34 yards. But the Bears, they were pretty okay. I mean, nothing too crazy. They got the dub. I can't say I love the Bears, but they won, and they're definitely going to keep winning this season. You know, uh, their backup quarterback, Tyler Bray, threw for 136 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. So he pretty much matched what Chad Kelly was doing out there. So good for them. Congratulations to the Bears. Really, really unfortunate for the Indianapolis Colts in that game. Then we had the Saints and the Jets. The Jets lost. But it's all good. You know, it was a 28-13 Saints victory. But it's just preseason. All of this is going to be irrelevant in two weeks when the road to the Super Bowl begins for gangrene. Right? I First, I want to talk about gangrene. Never will I understand why the fan name is named after an infectious disease because it just sounds disgusting. Who came up with the idea of calling us gangrene? That's just, that's awful. But Sam Darnold continues to look great out there. 97 yards, touchdown limited action. It was pretty awesome to watch. I really like seeing Sam Darnold uh, just become this this star quarterback slowly throughout this preseason, throughout the offseason, throughout late last season. You started seeing Sam Darnold get more and more comfortable, and now you see him kind of growing into that. And oh, I'm so excited for this season to watch him play. Uh, the stick figure himself, Robbie Anderson, caught two passes for 60 yards, and boy, am I proud he didn't get broken in half. Uh, As for the Saints, Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill combined for 270 yards passing, no touchdowns, and no interceptions. Drew Brees did get a touchdown, however, because he is Drew Brees. It's that simple. I mean, Drew Brees is Drew Brees. You can't go, you can't do anything else except for expect Drew Brees to throw a touchdown. Then you have the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Niners got the dub. Jimmy G bounced back in that 27-17 victory. The Greek god picked up 188 yards in the air with one touchdown to add to that on 14 of 20 passing. Luckily for him, he played well enough to get off of ESPN's headlines for the upcoming week, thankfully, because that was really annoying turning on the TV and seeing Jimmy G's face every single day. The rest of the team weren't too bad. Running backs were solid in the committee form. Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, Jeffrey Wilson. Uh, they all combined for 118 yards on the ground and two touchdowns from Jeffrey Wilson. Matt Breida also picked up a receiving touchdown, which was the only one from the 49ers side during the game. And the Chiefs offense looked great out there with the starters. Mahomes went 8 for 10, 126 yards, and a touchdown. He is going to be good this season. He is ready to win a chip in his second year as a starter. But then when Pat Shermer's son took the reins, their offense slowed to a halt. Seems to be an issue with the Shermers, huh? Then we had the Rams and the Broncos. Absolute snooze fest, just like the Patriots, the Panthers. This was horrible to watch. It was 10-6. Uh, it was bas- The score was 6-3 Broncos until the fourth quarter when John Wolford connected with Jalen Green for a four-yard touchdown to steal the game away from the Broncos and the Rams ended up winning. Not a great game. It was such a boring game. Even the highlights were terrible. Um, not fun at all. At all. Then we had the Seahawks and Chargers. 23-15 to victory for the Seahawks. The Iron Man streak killer. Former Jets quarterback Geno Smith had such a nice little game for the Seahawks. Putting up 117 yards in the air. Uh, the Seahawks' run game also looked really good. Their backs were able to put up 20-plus yards, including Russell Wilson, who ran for 31 yards and 
the GOAT, Geno Smith, put up 24 yards on the ground. Do not sleep on Geno. The passing game also looked fine with Tyler Lockett and John Ursua leading the charge with 50 yards apiece. That's pretty solid, actually. The Chargers, they I mean, they were fine, too. I wouldn't place too much of a negative emphasis on them. They did fine. They did, you know, okay. They just didn't do enough to win, which, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's not that big a deal. Uh, their Chargers quarterback carousel included names like Tyrod Taylor, a guy who's so nice that he fist-pumped Pete Carroll on the sideline, Cardell Jones, an absolute wash of a quarterback, and fifth-round pick Easton Stick. What the hell? Easton Stick. Yep, no, that's his name. Easton Stick. All three of which played good games. Uh, Easton picked up a touchdown rushing, and then he also picked up a touchdown passing, which, hey, that's pretty good. You know, for a guy named Easton Stick, he might be the the second or third string quarterback on this team. I think they're going to keep him. Uh, then you have the final game of the weekend, Steelers-Titans, which was an 18-6 to victory for the Steelers. Let's just admit it. The Titans are not good. They're still not good. They've never been good. They might have a slight chance to win their division, uh, seeing as it's one of the worst divisions in the NFL. But do not be fooled. This team is not great. They're not even good. Uh, I don't like what I'm seeing from Mariota. I, I really haven't liked Mariota since he was drafted in. I especially don't like his game now. I think he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong, but his game is just not good. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, I think, should be their starter. He's been very good. I, Ryan Tannehill should have been the starter in Miami. The problem with Ryan Tannehill is that he gets hurt often. So having a guy like Mariota as, as Tannehill's backup, I think, would be a smarter move. But, uh, yeah, no, Mariota's not doing it for me. You know, their receivers, they're okay. Their running backs, they're fine. Uh, McNichols was averaging 4.8 yards per carry on nine carries for 43 yards. But, you know, that that is, take that with a grain of salt. It's preseason. But what I am excited to see is Derek Henry come out and build on last year uh, because he had a really great ending to the regular season last year. And I think this year he's going to continue building on that and take it a step further, maybe show that superstar Heisman potential that he had. Then for the Steelers, James Conner is going to build on what he did last year, period. He's a great back. He is so good, so talented. I really want to see James Conner succeed. He's a great story. So I'm I'm sitting back here rooting for James Conner. And then also, I hope to see Big Ben bounce back on what he did last year. Uh, he had a pretty pedestrian year last year, but now that there's no more drama, I think he can pull it off. I think he can come back to the Big Ben of old. Um, but the Steelers really do need that if they want to win their division or compete with the Browns to win their division, the Ravens to win their division, uh, because Dobbs and Rudolph, their backup quarterbacks, are just not the answer that at all. <laughs> Those guys are not going to help them with anything. And that's the show. Thank you so much for listening, guys. This was so much fun to put together. I had an absolute blast. Please do be on the lookout for the bonus episodes coming out this week with your NBA breakdowns of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Charlotte Hornets, Washington Wizards, and New York Knicks. If you did like what you heard today, what you heard last week, what you're going to hear in the future, make sure to like, comment, favorite, five-star, subscribe, upvote, anything positive. 
uh, wherever and whenever you listen to your podcasts. Also, do follow the show at For the Record SP on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date with the show. And also, feel free to at me on Twitter. I love debating sports. I love talking sports. I do say some dumb things sometimes, so please do at me. I'd love to uh, talk sports with you on the interwebs for everyone to see. That's it. Yeah. Have a great week. Do something nice. Hold the door for somebody. Give somebody a dollar. Buy a coffee for somebody. Whatever it may be, have a great week. See you on the next one.